and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. With the current lockdown restrictions in place, Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Childs speaks to Tom and David Fenley at their virtual farm open day, along with advisor Richie O'Brien and specialist George Ramsbottom. Also, John Marr joined the webinar to talk about managing grass during the current drought. Okay, good morning, everybody, um, and welcome to today's webinar. Today we're presenting, well, I'm in, I'm still in Moore Park, but we're presenting live from the Finley Farm in Tinnekill, uh, just outside of Port Arlington. And the Finleys are participants in the Chagas Glambia Connect Future Farms program, working at a socially safe distance with Richie O'Brien. And uh, today the lads have taken over the Chagas Instagram and Twitter pages, as well as being involved with us in the webinar today. And we're looking forward to interacting with them. Uh, and we're hoping that you'll interact with them on the social media platforms and during the course of the webinar as well for the next 45 or 50 minutes. Um, so just before I hand over to Richie, I'd like to thank Tom, David and his family and their family for so willingly engaging with Richie and myself in order to deliver this today. And we hope that you'll enjoy what is a slightly different experience in terms of a, a farm walk. So I'll hand over to you now, Richie, okay? Okay, Stuart, uh, thanks for that. And it's great to be out here in Leash, Tinnakill County Leash, and to thank the lads for, for taking on this virtual farm walk. Uh, today, as you said, we're on the webinar this morning and we will be, uh, uh, the lads are taking over Chagas' uh, Twitter and Instagram account later on, so you can follow uh, what's happening on the farm. So straight away, I'm just going to, Stuart is going to put up a map of the farm, and I'm going to ask the lads maybe to comment, Tom, maybe you might comment on the, the land here, and many hectares uh, available here at the minute, just the background of the farm. Yes, Richie. Uh, we have 106 hectares here on the farm, and... We're, gra we're grazing 206 cows at the moment and carrying the followers as well. We have 74 heifers and 82 following, following calves. So the farm here is a dry, a dry farm. Uh, at the moment, very dry on account of the drought. Um, but the good thing about it is it's all around the yard. It's all in one block. Okay, and maybe I was here two weeks ago, lads, and the cover was starting to fall oh, at that stage. And maybe, and maybe just, just uh, comment on that, um, David, just the cover two weeks ago and the cover starting to fall and what actions he took then and what actions you're taking now. Okay, thanks, Stuart. Thanks, Richie. Um, um, yeah, so, yeah, so we're, we're looking here at a picture of the wager on the 3rd of May, so things were looking healthy enough at that point. Um, growth was, was still pretty good but since then um, the growth has fallen off dramatically and the ground has dried up fierce um, so at that at that point we kind of knew we were facing this uh, drought scenario the soil moisture deficit in the area was is has has risen now to nearly 80 so um, we decided to continue to graze a little bit further than the cover of 500 and utilize the quality grass that was left on the platform um, we extended the rotation grazing a couple of strong paddocks by pre-mowing and um, two weeks ago Richie visited here and at that time we decided we'd start supplementing a bit stronger with uh, bale silage. Um, so we're allocating about uh, the equivalent of one day and a 24-day rotation of the platform. So about 2.7 or 2.9 hectares a day. Um, we're feeding, it generally equates then to five kilos of meal in the parlour, five kilos of, of silage, and then the, the remainder of the date is in grazed grass. So um, currently now, now the farm cover is down at 302, cover for a cow of um, 105, and the growth rate is at 23. So um, we're looking for rain um, anywhere we can get it. And you have matched growth and demand? Yep, so the growth, um, is back as I said to 23 and demand is at um, 20 now so we've uh, removed the heifers and calves from the platform and we'll see them a little bit later on. Okay so Richie yeah. Yeah just looking at the covers here of, of grass that's uh, available here on the farm at the minute um, if I can just you see this here and you see where the lads boots are here maybe David go out 
just kind of, as you can see the grass, the level of grass here, just, there's about 800 of uh, pre-grazing cover, that's what's here. And this is typical of a lot of farms that are under uh, stress at the minute, like there's tronines, I call them, gone very stemmy. I suppose it's natural that the plant at this stage of the year is going, that's what the plant tells itself. And the stress of the drought has, has encouraged that more. Uh, that's, and that's the type, type of cover that the, that the cows are going into. Okay, as you can see over there, uh, David made the point that um, they're feeding silage at the minute. And I'm going to pass to David maybe to comment on how they're doing that. They've taken two options. They, um, they fed along the wire and they fed in the field. And they also use sirehoods for a stage as well. So maybe David, you might comment on the different, the different feeding options, options how or how you do it. Okay, th thanks Richie. Um, yeah, so we're feeding, uh, as you said, about six kilos of silage at the moment. And we started off feeding with quite a wire, uh, mixed with uh, three kilos of soya hulls um, and two kilos of meal in the parlour at the time. And so we found there was a little bit of wastage of the soya hulls. They didn't mix quite that well in the diet feeder with bale silage. So we have decided to just increase the meal in the parlour and feed only silage in the paddock. So. At the moment, we're actually just feeding it at random, we'll say, across the paddock, um, rather than at the wire, and they're cleaning it up very well now, I must say. So um, it's, there's, very, there's very little damage, and probably the, the thing that we'd be maybe a little bit concerned about would be when we do get rain and we're still feeding silage that um, you could be, be inclined to damage the paddock at that stage. So we'll just monitor as we go and um, if we have to re revert to the shed at that point, um, we can do so also. So um, we have a few options, but I suppose just being willing to try different things is effective at the moment. So have you actually gotten any rain, David, yet? Um, so... Not, not, not a huge amount really. We didn't get much all along. Say, look from that healthy looking wedge on the third of May. Um, we haven't had much rain since then, short. So, uh, we had a nice shower now last night, and the weather is looking a bit more broken for um, the next few days. So, um, we're we're hoping for it. Okay. Okay. Will you just clarify that there, Richie? Because we just lost you briefly there. So the the fertilizer. Okay. So the basically, they, they missed they missed around the nitrogen and they felt the place too dry. So basically, there was they were heading two weeks ago. This farm was heading towards a, a brown drought scenario, and as you can see from the grassland behind me here, there is a slight greenness. That small bit of rain, a couple of mils of rain, has basically helped uh, the scenario here. But um, it's it's it's. Uh, it's still uh, very, very slow growth. But they fed last week. The rain was coming. The forecast was good. So they went with 27 units of protected urea last week across the farm. Okay. Okay. And okay. Uh, just, Richard, do, okay? do you want to comment on the, on the, we'll say, across the territory that you're covering with the future farms at, on the program? There's a big variation, actually. I see Jack Kearney down yeah. there, here and more parts there, doing there, okay. Yeah, and, and I'd say up to last week, Waterford wasn't too bad, but they seem to, in the last week, Waterford seems to have caught up with us, like the growth was back down to 50s, Wexford 50. So the average for the Monitor Farm programme was 40. If you take Jack Kearney out, it would be under 40, so in Cork. So it's right across, I was looking at a discussion group, Pat Mylan's discussion group there, North Kenny, they were getting growths of 20 as well. So it's typical, I would say the low growths is typical meat, Kildare, uh, Kilkenny, Leash, that's the typical uh, growth around this area. So it has been affected by the drought a lot earlier than other parts of the country. Okay. And looking at, and looking at the reports from other parts, that, that high feeding rate seems to be, that kind of 666 feeding rate seems to be very common right through. Okay, Stuart, what we're going to do, and you might come in with George and um, John then, we're going to move to the next stop. Uh, okay. Just on the second cut silage ground, okay? Okay, so I, okay? I, I'll bring and John we'll... in here So at this stage. Okay, so John, um, we've, thanks for coming back to us this week, having been on with us with John Trent and Michael Carroll um, a couple of weeks ago. So if you just, uh, I suppose, there's two aspects that I want you to have a look at really, John, today or to talk about today is probably we have two scenarios with people that are heading into a drought scenario kind of or kind of just on the cusp of it and then there's people like the Fennelys and those around North Kilkenny, Carlow that are really in the midst of it and trying to come out of it hoping to come out of it with the rain that's forecast 
for the weekend. Now, I suppose Richie was saying how much is if Elodie's figures are correct or, and Matt Aaron's figures are correct and we get an inch or a bit with it of rain over the next couple of days, what impact is that going to have on the soil moisture deficit in Fenley's at 80? All right, Stuart. Okay, yeah. so we we know that the average growth is, is about uh, 50 for last week across the country. Richie's touched on where it is in the Leinster area. It's averaging about 40, 45. And then in the pocket that Richie picked out, um, Leach there into Mead, you know, we're probably into the lower levels of maybe 20s and 30s. We also know if your farm covers below 500 that, that you're going to uh, have lower growth uh, as well, irrespective of where you are in the country. From, despite the difficulties last week, we look at when we look at the pasture-based figures that Michal and uh, O'Leary and Fergus Bogue put together, is that the average growth is around 50, but the demand is also 50. So people have already acted. And that was great to see that people are trying to match growth and demand. And irrespective of where you are, that's the first principle to match growth and demand. So if you're, if you're only growing 50, you have to have a demand of 50 just to hold the farm cover where you are. Now, we know nationally the farm cover is above 600, which is great to see. 500 is a, 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 is a very, very important figure in, in grass supply and, our, and farm cover measurements. Irrespective of a spring, summer, autumn, once you go below 500, growth rate is compromised, irrespective of whether you're in drought conditions or not. So that's a big benchmark to keep an eye on. So matching growth and demand, keeping the farm cover um, close to 600 and certainly above 500. And then I suppose the rotation length, um, given the growth rates at the moment, we probably need to be closer to the mid-20s rather than 20 days. Um, there are the quick guides. I would expect then, Stuart, given the, the forecast of rain, so we'll hope for the best, plan for the worst. Um, that's probably the motto that I'll give you. But if we get a, a forecast of rain and the Fenleys get, uh, you know, 25 millimetres, their soil moisture deficit, I gather, somewhere around 75 or 80 millimetres, that brings them back close to 50 millimetres of uh, soil moisture deficit. So, yeah, so the, the Fenleys are currently growing 20. Yeah. Um, if they got an inch of rain, uh, sorry, growing 20 kilograms of dry matter per hectare per day, there thereabouts, if we got an inch of rain, that would bring about 25 to 30 millimetres of um, moisture back into the ground, mm -hmm. which would hopefully then reduce the soil moisture deficit from, you know, 70, 75 or 80 back closer to 50. That should lead to an increase in growth rate. And if we could get the growth rate um, up to about 40 for a period of 10 days, that means, you know, we'd have 20 by 10 days, uh, an extra 20 of kgs of Growth above demand for 10 days, which would bring the farm cover then from 300 to 500. You know, 10, 10 days by extra 20 kilograms of growth would bring the farm cover back up to 500. And that would, you know, to five, you know, in oxygen millimeters, they may not get the growth of 40 to, to shift farm cover. But if the higher we can get the farm cover, the greater the growth potential of the farm. They have acted very, very well by holding um, growth and demand together and um, by doing all the strategies of, you know, bringing meal, bringing in silage, taking the heifers off the platform effectively into a non-grass diet and bringing in an extra grazing grounds that was deemed for a second cut silage. So the reaction has, has been good. Now we need, just need to try and get the growth up. Okay, so and just to clarify because of the signal again, John, so zero to minus 25 in terms of soil moisture deficit won't impact on growth. 25 oh. to 50 is beginning to impact on growth, but it's only when you go yep. into the 50 plus scenario that we're beginning to see extremely Yeah, when, well, once we go beyond 50 millimetres of soil moisture deficit, um, growth is severely compromised. And once we get into 75 and 80 millimetres of soil moisture deficit, we are in um, restricted growth. Okay. Right, um, so just on, quickly on the fertiliser side of things then, John. Um, so on, on, I think the lads have done a, um, a good job in terms of uh, applying fertiliser now. The fertiliser's out before the forecasted levels of rain will come. So if the rain will come uh, of, of the order of magnitude that we expect, um, as I said, we hope for the best, plan for the worst. But if we got 25 millimetres, that would um, bring an injection of moisture into soil. It would bring the fertiliser into soil. It would make the roots more active, make the plant grow a bit better. And they have the fertiliser out, as they outlined, so, um, for a while. So 
you know, um, I wouldn't be advocating applying fertilizer today or anything to have it out and try and capitalize on that fertilizer. Then, Stuart, like, you know, in all this, you've got to keep walking the farm. You've got to read the signals of the farm in terms of grass growth. And, um, you know, if, if growth comes and, and things improve, then we let that the current let the fertilizer work. And if things keep moving forward and we get growth, of, growth rates of 40s or 30s or 50s, then we can look at reapplying fertilizer again and capitalize on that. I okay. will say two, two, two things, Stuart. Grass has gone through a period of stress. There will be a level of stemming, as Richie's touched on it. When grass gets stressed, stem will come. That decision's already made, whether the rain comes or not. You know, just to be clear about that. So, even though grass growth will improve from moisture um, coming from rainfall sources, we are still going to have a level of stemming, whether we like it or not. I just see a question on the screen, uh, Stuart. Where do we get cell moisture deficits? Yeah. All we can get there. All we can do here is have a regional picture of soil moisture deficits from Metairn, and it's an important question to ask because there's lots of variation within the farm, and there's lots of variation within the, you know certain localities. To be honest, right? So sometimes I see soil moisture deficits of 40 or 50 millimeters for farms in all heavy soils, and they don't have that level of soil moisture deficit. In fact, in fact, the growth is normal. So on the farm in terms of growth on the farm okay you, so you'll have on the farm you'll have fields that are exposed are exposed to, to wind and to drought and sunshine and fields that are heavier and less exposed you know so you you'd have to you, you know walking the farm will tell you that and okay doing the farm cover so just before i go back to richie john then and um, there's a question in from barry o'sullivan with with the rain would you be concerned that too much nitrogen will, will come up in the grass basically and uh just before you answer i'll just ask people to send the questions in via the q a rather than trying to come in to speak if, uh, if that's okay so just would you be concerned about a, a rise in nitrogen in grass um when rain does come Okay, um, I'll answer this question very. Uh, this is a common question now, Stuart. So it's good it's asked, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it is. So you can't have butter. Sorry, you can't have butter on both sides of your bread here, right? When rainfall comes, right, uh, nature takes over, and the bugs uh, may may have shut down because of drought. Moisture comes into the soil. Bugs release in the soil will release nitrogen, right? We have nitrogen from sources of dung and urine. We have nitrogen released from the soil. Uh, nitrogen released in the soil is going to be highest during the summer months when bugs get going. We have fertilizer left over. So there's going to be a surge in nitrogen, you know, due to nature alone, right? And this is all. This always happens after drought or a, a period of growth within a drought, right? That nitrogen gets released because of the change in rainfall, change in scenario of um, of the uh, physical capabilities of the soil in terms of releasing nitrogen. So that's going to happen. Um, we know after a prolonged period of drought that the, the regrowth is often um, um, not as palatable to cows because the cows are grazing very dry, very sweet grass. And now we go to a lower dry matter grass with higher nitrogen because of nature in the soil. That's going to happen. But I'll be glad to have the feed and and do you know, get on and deal with the palatability issues. They're not going to be perfect. The more rainfall we get, the more release of nitrogen from the soil, that's going to happen. Um, it comes from numerous sources, as I said, the soil, the dung, the urine, the fertilizer, that's going to happen. I'll be glad to have the feed. It, it, it may be not the most palatable in the world at times, but isn't it great that we have grass rather than feeding high cost feeds of meal or silage um uh, you know and, and we'll take the, the other thing that it emphasizes john maybe is the fertilizer strategy going into that drought scenario too um, so yeah. that it is it is prudent to cut back when the growth is dropping off because it will there'll be a lot of yeah, mineralization so will take place it will yeah and so in the grass 10 newsletter we we issued um kind of guidelines on nitrogen so for those who are growing normal can stick to the normal rates of maybe a, a unit a day um uh, for, per day in the rotation obviously we'll have that where growth is kind of restricted in the you know kind of 30s uh 30s 40s 20s scenario and when we get less than 20 obviously then our, our you know where there's little or no growth we'll, we'll hold back in the fertilizer no denying that but that was covered well in the grass 10 newsletter by ferguson um uh, ourselves in the grass 10 team during the week and i just pe refer people to that okay so, perfect and, and you're gonna have variation within the farm as well Stuart. you know that of course yeah okay john so i'll stop you there and go back to richie okay okay thanks very much okay it's all richie we're back with you there now uh you're after moving on to okay uh, 
we we just uh, just George, out, I suppose that the lads are the one are the sustainable sustainability farm for the the Glambia program as well, and kind of farming for the future is part of the is the title. So you're looking at some future farming uh, practices or something that's becoming a bit more common on farm now in the last number of years. So I'll hand over to you again to talk talk us through that aspect. Yeah, there's, there's uh, two reasons why we stopped in the field here. Basically, this is silage ground that was cut the 15th of May. Uh, now, this is back into the, the grazing scenario. So basically, this should have been closed for second cut silage. And now it's been uh, used for, for, for grazing. So the overall stock rate has been reduced to 2.88 by bringing in that ground. I suppose that the, as part of the program, we have been... Uh, looking at, you know, using protected urea. So all the farms across the Chagas Columbia joint program using protected urea right through the summer months. And uh, the trading shoe, the practice of using trading shoes. So the field in front of me, I, I, I'm hoping that you can get it. I'm going to get the lads, maybe, I'm going to leave my picture on there and the lads will explain, David maybe might explain what's happening. Uh, you know, do you see the difference in color there, Stuart? Yeah, very clearly, Richie, yeah. Yeah, so this is a this was cut to 15 to May. So maybe David, you might comment on what's happened this season. Yeah, so cut around the 15th of May, Richie, probably about it. Um, just to comment on the first cut, silage probably back 20% in overall yield. Um, so we followed out then with I know the conditions were dry, but in hope of rain, we followed out the slurry anyway. But only for the trail and chew, um, it was it wasn't uh, option an option at all. So. Um, Grass has recovered relatively well. This field was reseeded last year, and there's probably a cover of uh, 600 on it, I suppose, at the moment. Um, so the cows will be coming in here in uh, maybe four or five days' time. Um, so we're, we'll be delighted to get a bit of quality back into the diet rather than what um, they're grazing at the moment. Uh, so you can see a little bit of a change in colour of grass there as well. So that's um, what that is. The, the headlands here got uh, two loads of just happened to be watery slurry um, more by accident than design. So uh, you can see there um, def definitely better uh, uptake of nitrogen on, on, in, that, in, that, um, in, in that area of the field. So you can see that through Richie's camera there, um, which is just interesting, I suppose, um, at the moment. Absolutely, yeah, uh, and it's quite clear on Richie's video there the the, the extra uh, the impact of the extra nitrogen, I suppose. And I might just throw up the slide there, Richie, uh, um, from what uh, William had there for the, just the impact of the trailing shoe, just on slurry nitrogen values. I can, can you see that there now, Rich? So what this is just showing, I suppose, for everybody else on the call, the lads are quite. Uh, are very tuned into this obviously from having the, the advantage of having the trailing shoe on the farm but they're gaining nitrogen you can see in the blue bars against the using splash plate as well as there's obviously nitrogen lost to the air in a scenario like David has explained there if he were to spread that on on um, stubble ground after silage uh, a couple of weeks ago in the weather that they've had but the, the dribble bar was dropping the slurry Closer to the ground, where it could be made more effect, uh, more use could be made of it, and they were gaining a couple of units of nitrogen, and that's where the line is coming from. Is basically extra nitrogen, um, sh showing itself through in the grass. So I suppose from a sustainability point of view, we have to be very conscious of the need to probably be careful with our nitrogen applications so that we minimize ammonia losses and also losses to groundwater etc and trailing shoe and dribble bars um, and in, indeed injection which isn't very popular in Ireland but is is an option I suppose and gives us a further uh, increase in nitrogen uh, per thousand gallons can also be uh, considered in terms of increasing nitrogen use efficiency so do you want to make any comment on that Richie in terms of the program um, and the focus on trying to improve uh, nitrogen use efficiency across all the farms involved. Yeah, so in the program, we set a target that the, I suppose, the, I suppose the nitrogen use efficiency basically is the amount of nitrogen brought into the farm and the amount of nitrogen that goes out of the farm, and that goes out as percentage. So, if a leader who's a master student working with us on the program, she has done a bit of work on this and for the farm here actually is quite good so the national average is 24 uh, percent nitrogen use efficiency uh, uh, and EFA found for that 
So, and we're putting a bigger uh, emphasis on that, that this year, that the first round of nitrogen, and maybe I get David to talk about the first round of nitrogen that he spread, that they didn't, they used the trade and fuel to a large, for the first round of nitrogen. Yeah, so about the first round of nitrogen, we applied uh, half bag of urea to uh, one third of the farm, and the other third of the farm then got um, the trail and shoe, Richie. So then, um, following on from that, then a few weeks later, we alternated and um, spread the, the chemical nitrogen then on the ground with that. We obviously got slurry and vice versa. So I suppose there's just a little bit of a saving there um, in terms of using the, the trail and shoe and the chemical nitrogen as well, so um, and I suppose getting better value out of sorry now that, now that we, we do have that, that tool. So David, would you comment in terms of your perception of the growth following the, the, on, the on the ground that was given the, the slurry only, we'll say, so it was given the equivalent to 23 units, the same as what you do with fertilizer if you were applying it, but you put it on the farmer slurry. Were you happy with the, the growth that you got from that? Yeah, I'd say we'd definitely be happy enough with the growth, I suppose, at early in the year, um, just from the, the, the bit of traffic, naturally I feel it gets very, you know, will there will be a little bit of reduced available grass, we'd say, but as regards nitrogen from the slurry, you know, and it, you can see it here in this field today, like there's definitely, there's definitely no problem with it, um, there's definitely a, good, a very good uptake from the, the trail and shoot. Um, this is probably a good example of it here. You can definitely need the, the more watery sorry. Yeah, excellent. <clears throat> and uh, how have you found the protected urea? Protected urea has been has been uh, has been fairly successful now. So this is our second full year using it um, as a trade management source. So there's also good products that are now available with a bit of um, K and sulfur added to it as well. So the next round will be going now is uh, 29 not 14 um, plus I think 3.5 units of sulfur so um, that just keep things ticking along and it will be replaced with a K from silage offtake and the farm is a little bit low in, in K in some areas as well so um, oh, there's a good range of products there now to go to the area as well so it's, it's no more difficult to use and as regards the cost per unit of nitrogen it shouldn't be, shouldn't be more expensive it should be more cost effective really than rather than expensive. Back to Tom there. Go just go back to Tom there for a minute on Tom has looked at the soil fertility status of the farm. Uh, Tom maybe comment on the overall soil fertility you were looking at there the other day. The overall soil fertility status. Yes Richie uh, it's something we've been looking at the last couple of years. We take um, an individual soil sample from every paddle every two years. And looking at the 2018 samples, only 26% of the farm were potash and lime. So over the two years we've addressed both of those. And looking at the samples we took this year, we have 55 or 60% of the farm. And so we continue now with that. Are spreading urea and potash in the back end. Okay, so the percentage is over 55% of the farm. Okay, Stuart, we're going to move down another bit. Okay. Stuart? Yeah, that's okay. We're, we're just going down. We're only to going to be one minute. We're just going down we'll to the heifers. One minute, okay? And we'll be only one minute, okay? Okay, perfect. Um, that's grand. Okay, so it's just in the meantime, while the lads are moving down there, I'm, I'm just going to just, I suppose, back up a small bit of what they've said there in terms of the uh, the um, elements around protected urea and so forth as well. So we've shown the impact of the, the slurry nitrogen uh, by using the, the low emission slurry spreading methods and uh, just going to quickly move to the protected urea aspect of it here just to show the, the reasoning for it. So especially if people haven't been used to using protected urea, um, I suppose the current weather probably wouldn't be conducive to the switch, I would imagine, in that we, you will probably be disappointed with the impact that you're going to get from it because of um, the, just the sheer lack of moisture at the moment. So if you haven't used it before, I wouldn't advocate switching right now. 
Uh, I prefer if people were to try switching when there's reasonable level of growth to give the fertilizer a chance because more than likely people are going to believe that the fertilizer is at fault, uh, even though it's the soil moisture issue is going to be at fault at the moment. But the rationale for the change from urea to protected urea is, is shown here on the, on, the, on the screen. And the rationale is that in trials that we've conducted across a number of centers, you'll surely, you've surely heard this at this stage, but we've, there's no impact in terms of grass yield. And you heard David speaking there about how they're quite happy with the uh, response they've gotten to it in the last uh, 12 to 18 months of use of it. So grass yield is good. David also mentioned the cost effectiveness of it, especially now at this time of year. I suppose if we were talking, there are a number of farms, and Richie has all his farms in the Glambia pro joint program uh, on protected urea on a full-time basis now. So there is a slight uh, give in terms of the price in the springtime, but we're gaining it back during the summertime. So it's cheaper per uh, unit of nitrogen during the summertime. Um, but the advantage that we're getting from this across all aspects of it is that protected urea is still growing the grass. It's minimizing our greenhouse gas emissions. It's also minimizing our ammonia emissions, which is really important from an agriculture point of view because we're the, the main culprits. We often talk about the impact of industry, et cetera, on greenhouse gas emissions and that agriculture itself isn't uh, fully to blame. And many people will have cited the example that during the lockdown, greenhouse gas emissions seem to be reduced because of less transport movement, et cetera, on the roads. And the same number of cows were still being milked and uh, moving around the country. So that's fair enough. But from the point of view of ammonia emissions, we're 95% responsible in the agricultural industry. So the, the trailing shoe and protected urea can help us eat into this emissions uh, factor that we have to deal with quite significantly because it just completely minimizes the amount of ammonia emissions being pr uh, produced. And then nitrate leaching, urea is recommended as the fertilizer of choice in the springtime from the point of view that can is very mobile in the soil when so water can actually move the nitrate from can into into water bodies very quickly whereas urea gets locked in because of the charge and protected urea obviously has the same advantage so from that point of view we'd be strongly advocating that people would try some um, protected urea this year and as i said just given the current conditions if you haven't used it prior to, to, to now uh, just wait until maybe we might get back to a normal scenario where we can expect our 50, 60 kilos of growth, hopefully, um, before switching so that you don't get a negative uh, feeling about the product on the basis of of the performance of it in a drought scenario. So just one other thing to talk about, uh, or, or actually I'll come back to because Richie's at his point there now, so um, I'll go back to Richie there and just bring him back in. Okay, I'm... I'm we're back, back here, here. We're back, back here with the heifers, and we're just going to talk about taking the heifers off the uh, the platform. Uh, I suppose the two things I let David talk about how they've fed the heifers. Basically, the heifers have access to this field here, um, and getting silage only, and, and two kilos of sihol. So two two round bales and two kilos of sihol. Maybe talk about David how you're actually feeding this out. The two different ways you fed it out, and which way which way works better. Uh, yeah, that's it, Richie. So uh, we're feeding the silage in the field, similarly to the cows. So we tried it at the wire. Um, as you can see there, they have a little bit left there. And today we've tried it, um, same as the cows, just spread out at random. And they seem to be picking it up fairly well. So they're feeding, we're feeding the two kilos of sihols then as well. Um, just as to top up their, their uh, requirement um, in, in the shed. So the, the the heifers have heat detection collars on them and they're within striking distance of the yard as well. So they're running every day, every morning to um, pick up any for AI and uh, they get their two heels of hulls at that stage. So um, this paddock is destined for reseeding soon enough. So if the conditions do turn a little bit unfavorable um, and there's a little bit harm done, we won't worry too much. Um, but at the moment, they're, they're cleaning it up fairly well. Maybe comes on the milk yield, David. Uh, yeah, so back to the cows. The milk yield, the cows have held their yield fairly well at um, 3.59 protein and 4.14 fat and just two, 2.03 kilos of solids there for the last two days. So um, they're, they're milking fair, fairly well. And that's... Okay, 
and the EBI of the herd. Sorry, the EBI of the herd, David. You you have uh, like oh, I think Tom made a comment to me the last day. He said there's no there's been no bulls in this farm since 1996. So all AI has been used here in, in, in that in that period. That's right, Richie. Um, it's all AI, and we're focusing on EBI. The EBI at the moment now is 168 for the herd. And sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, it's 168 for the herd. And what we've just done recently now is we've tagged the heifers with the genotypes. We're going to genotype all the heifers and try and improve the EBI further by selecting the heifers that we use for breeding. Okay, and you've used the collars successfully. Yes, we've had the collars on the heifers for the, and heifers and cows for the last three years now, I think. So we, we pretty much solely depend on them for heat detection, along with a little bit of observation. But we find them very good in terms of uh, they, they seem to pick up the cows very well. And uh, with the heifers, the fact that they're away from the yard a little bit at the moment, we just run them down in the mornings and the collars pick up anything that's uh, in heat, so um, we're working, finding very good. And did you, when you were adapting to the colors, uh, Tom, did you continue to use the tail paint, or um, when, um, did you trust the color enough? We kind of more or less trusted them from the beginning, but we would have been using a fair bit of observation, too. Uh, but you know, once you get in on the colors, you have to obviously. Uh, get used to looking at the graphs, and uh, they're pretty straightforward. We find that we find they have worked very well. Uh, we've had, I think, over 90% of the cows AI in the first three weeks, and we have all the two heifers AI in the first three weeks. So we're very happy with the cow. Okay, very good. So I suppose, Richie, just to, just to put it in context when you're talking about the EBI there, um, I, I have the lads' figures here, which uh, and the, the herd is in the top 5% at a herd EBI of 166 euro, and delivering on yeah. the ground. Yeah, so it's delivering on the ground. If you look at a six-week calving rate, it's 89% is the six-week calving rate uh, for the farm here. Um, you know, and 520 kilograms of milk uh, solid supplied last year. So it's, it's actually, and there's still a lot of heifers in, in, in the herd. So the potential, you know, maturity, the six-week calving rate is okay. Uh, it's a black and white herd. And, and AI, I think the big thing here has been AI, high EBI, but AI been used here since 1996, as Tom said. So as part of one of the, if you look at the sustainability measures that's been talked about, High EBI, you know, fertile animals requiring less heifers, so it'd be less stock on the ground. So from a greenhouse gas emissions, the whole EBI side is, is massive. So they're probably achieving that to a large degree on the farm, but they feel there's a lot more they can achieve on the farm. But the solids here can, 550 would be the target here supplied on the farm here. And with maturity in that, they, they will easily supply, easily get there. Okay, so there's a, a question from Alan Poole in Wexford there then about the replacement rate. Um, are you currently building the, far, the building numbers or are you static in terms of your herd situation? Well, up, okay, up to this year we've been building numbers just from our own, from our own heifers that we've been able to breed. So about probably 25% of the herd at the moment are heifers this year. Um, we, from now on, we, our herd becomes more or less static. So we're hoping to bring that down to about 18%, uh, probably over the next couple of years. We'll probably still have some older cows to be once you train us and pull out the herd as the next couple of years. But a uh, reduced number of replacements, then we're hoping to build up the production as it matures. Very good. Okay, so just to, just to point out what the, the lads were saying there, hopefully you can see this now. Um, the herd EBI is 166 euro, and as I said, that's putting the, the Finley herd in the top 5% of herds in the country. Um, you can see that they have a, a focus on a, a sub-index for milk of 49 euro, and a fertility sub-index of 74 euro. And George is there on the farm as well, helping Richie this morning, and George's figure is... Uh, 
85 euro for the target for fertility for uh, an animal to calve in 365 days, basically. So they're heading well in, on that way with their uh, herd. And Richie said, I think it was 86 or 89% six-week uh, calving rate. And uh, you can see that in the young stock that are coming through then that the 2019 calves that are being bred there, the heifers that the lads are in the field with at the moment have a fertility sub-index of... Um, 78 euro and the young stock that were born this month um, or this uh, this spring are at 99 euro so just to show that the emphasis is there you can see that the we'll say her dbi of 166 their fifth lactation animals are quite good at the 161 the animals being bred this year at 182 good solid dbi and the calves born this year at 210 um further progress constantly being made and a nice uh, improvement in their milk sub index in the last co uh, cohort of stock coming in from the first lactation at 55 to the heifers that will be coming in next year at 62 moving up to 68 then uh, hopefully for the, the animals coming in 2022 so as richie said uh, and uh, tom has said there as well the focus is to improve the uh, age profile of the herd now because they're going to they've reached their numbers that they plan to make and that they hope to um, carry with the less replacements potentially because they won't need them because they should have a more fertile herd by virtue of their emphasis on fertility in their EBI. Now George you're uh, unmuted there at the moment are you looking to come in there or? Yeah come in. can I come in for a second there? Sure. Can, George, can you hear me? Of course, yeah. yeah. Okay, so if we look at the maintenance sub-index of this group of animals here, the heifers, they're at around 10 or 11 euro. That means that as mature cows are going to mature to about 600 kilos live weight as third calvers in mid-lactation. Just looking at the heifers here this morning, they're in excellent condition. And they're weighing, I would estimate their weight to be close to 400 kilos at this stage. So they have another 140 kilos to grow between now and calving because we target a pre-calving weight that's 90% of their mature weight and that's about 540 kgs of a pre-calving weight. So they have 140 kilos to do in 240 days or thereabouts. So that, you know, it, it, there's a bit of, of um, there's a fairly substantial requirement to keep the push on with these heifers and that's part of the reason why Tom and David are supplementing fairly hard at the moment with the, the soil hulls and the silage out in the paddock here. Very good. Um, so just a question as well, George, you can put it to them there maybe as you're moving. Um, is there a plan to sell surplus heifers or what's the, are they going to maybe replace some of the older cows within the herd over the next yeah, year so or two and then sell we, down? We, we, we'll ask that question to Tom when we go down there. And I asked it earlier and I think he Tom, said that he'll he need most of the animals he has this year to, to fill the, the, to make up the herd to its full complement for next year. But there okay. might be a few for sale, not too many. We'll ask Tom that now in a minute, okay? Yes, George, I heard that question there. Um, uh, that's it. The, um, the heifers that we have, we'll probably keep this year. And we'll probably take out some of the older cows and maybe some of the lower production cows. Uh, we have extra calves kept now. And with the genotyping, we're hoping to be able to sort out the ones that we want to keep out of those for next year. So probably sell the others probably in the spring as as breeding heifers that's the plan at the moment anyway okay so i suppose we're okay. uh, we're coming up against the, the time a small bit there so richie so i'll come back to you again now for to our final stop there at the, the reseed yeah I, i'm at the reseed here and get the lads to talk about it but i suppose the one thing about the reseed you see it's it's the one field uh struck me and, and in 18 when the drought struck that that once the grass seeds seemed to get a hole they, they seemed the roots were fairly well up to the top that the, the, um, they stayed fairly green so wherever the moisture is coming they seem to be they seem to be getting it i was here two weeks ago and these grass seeds were were struggling a bit um but they seem to have in the last two weeks a small bit of rain they've got they seem to have changed inside out that's a a big question the lads went to sow grass seeds earlier this year uh to try and avoid some of the dry weather but it didn't didn't work in their favor so I maybe get the lads to comment on when when it was sown, and when the grass seeds were sown, and what treatment we got since. Yes, yeah, so the grass seeds were sown on the sixteenth of April, Richie. Um, they're sown just with uh, power harrow and air seeder mounted on that. So um, they're sown in 
we thought were ideal conditions, but the conditions afterwards then weren't so ideal. So um, they were slow to get going, and we gave them the post-emergence spray then on the 29th of May. And that has got a fairly good kill on the weeds, and um, they've improved with the little drops of rain that we have got. So they're slightly uh, stripy, as you can see. Um, and as always, behind the wheels of the tractor seems to be where the, the ground is more compact and the moisture is a bit, a bit better. Um, is, a bit, is where the grass seeds are stronger. So, um, but overall, across the field, they're very close to grazing now. So probably next week, we'll bring the heifers out from where they are and give them a fresh bite and we'll get some graze fairly quick so and um, hopefully with the bit of rain and we get in the forecast they'll they'll come on all right yeah very good i suppose uh, do you want to make any comment on the was it difficult to make the decision about spraying it david given that uh, it was probably under a bit of stress yeah sure it probably was sure but uh i, I think we're glad we sprayed it to be honest the weeds were getting strong as well so um it probably was the right thing to do at the time all right um but look that, that could be a factor if the grasses were very weak as well yeah and are you happy just with coming in on that there Stuart. Yes, um <clears throat> the one thing the weeds were getting a bit strong and we felt we'd have to go and spray it the one thing we had to use uh spray that wasn't clover safe so it knocked the clover out of it we'll probably go back in and maybe sow clover in again afterwards but yeah. there were seedling docks coming in it and there was some chickweed and we felt, you know, on balance it was better to go and spray at that stage, you know. Yeah, look, I think uh, it was prudent uh, to do that from the point of view. As you said there, I suppose you have to take the hit in the clover. Uh, we were only talking about it amongst ourselves there recently as well, like so. Um, the the, the trade-off is, do you kill your clover and control the the, the, the weed content of your new lay uh, and come back in with the clover like you're saying? Uh, in due course which obviously just to point out to people it could be up to two or three months depending on the product that you used before you can come back in with the clover and it might even have to run into next year before you'd come back in with the clover um but uh the, the control like what you did is probably is definitely the right thing in terms of controlling the weed infestation in a new lay early on it's going to mean less chemical requirement and give your clover a better chance into the future when you do use it so that was the well, I spoke to Alan. I spoke to Alan G from Clonvia. There, he'd be my business manager. He came out and had a look at it, and he felt that you know, on balance, that was the best thing to do. Yeah, definitely. It's great, great advice. Okay, so uh, Richie, do you want to show the the hitch? Yeah. So listen, we're okay. Project pro, production and efficiency across the farm are probably two of the main greenhouse gas gas uh, emissions lowering effect here but if I look at the other elements of the program measure energy usage and they're encouraging measuring uh, water usage that's part of the practice and part of the new high program they planted a new hedge here and maybe Tom might comment, comment on that. Uh, the level of biodiversity, we're measuring that, we're getting a baseline data across all the farms. On the farm here, it's around 5%, and we hope to get that over 7% in the next number of years. So it might be planting more hedges, it might be corners of fields. It'll be bringing, um, and one of their plans is to, to, is to bring, they have a water course, is to bring the fence out five foot, foot from there. So this farm was originally in reps, there was a hedge up there, that Tom might talk about as well, that was in reps that he planted years ago in the rep scheme. And I see some talk about a new rep scheme coming out and Tom might be happy with that to get that going. So maybe Tom might comment on the level of biodiversity and the new hedgerow here on the farm. Sure, Richie. Um, it's something that we really hadn't looked at before, but with Aoife Leader there, who's involved with the project, she, she, she mapped the farm and marked in any hedges areas that were regarded as habitats and that gave us our roughly just under five percent of an area of biodiversity so with that in mind it's one of the reasons why we planted this hedge here and it's it's one of a number of hedges that we planted over the last few years um 
during, throughout the day now we'll probably show a few pictures of them but uh, they take a little while to establish but they really do add to the farm and if both shelter for the stock and of course an area for the wildlife to thrive. This particular hedge was sown in the beginning of February and it's mainly white thorn with a mix of you know some other native uh, plants like spindle, holly, gilderose and you know the drought didn't help we've had to water it a few times but we're hoping that it'll 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 um it'll establish now and uh you know it should it should provide a nice bit of shelter in in these fields here yeah very good okay. so so we're kind of running up against time rich so i suppose we'll have to yeah i'll just i'll just wrap it up thank the lads for taking this on today the webinar is part of the overall virtual farm walk. I hope people got fr uh, something from it. We, we try to cover the overall program, what we're trying to achieve in the overall program and what's currently happening in the farm. You can see the drought scenario, how they're handling it and it's basically just they have to go feed hard. The overall program I suppose we'll be covering during the day is, is productivity and efficiency, the whole area of the environment and, and I suppose the welfare of the farmer and welfare of the animals. Um, I suppose the big thing this year we're concentrating on as well is selective dry cow treatment uh, for the back end. They would have tried it during the day. We'll talk about that with Yaris. Summer's the vet with Glambia. And we'll talk about that. They tried it last winter and they're going to try more of it this winter, uh, selective dry cow treatment. It's, it's going to be part of the rules next year anyway, so we have to go with that. Um, that's it. I'd like to thank the lads for taking this on. Thank, thanks to Glambia, our partners in this, and the Chagas Glambia Future Farm Programme. And lads, follow lads, during, follow the, day. during the day. There's going to be loads of information. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, again, I, sure. I just like to reiterate my um, thanks to the family in particular for engaging with Richie to do this because it's a uh, it's daunting enough taking a farm walk on the farm not to mind to have to try to do it over an, in an online format though. Uh, very willing and very uh, easy to work with there in the last couple of weeks in terms of the preparation. So I strongly encourage people that are on Instagram and Twitter to engage with David and, um, and Richie and Tom over the course of the day and get some uh, good feedback from it. So thank you very much. And just to remind people that we're back again next week. And uh, next week we'll be talking to Tyke Buckley from AIB just to give a rundown on the financial situation uh, currently in dairy markets and uh, how that's going to affect at farm level and so forth. So we hope to see you then next week. And thanks again, lads, and all the best for the rest of the day. That's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and thanks for listening. <laughs>